Thank you, worship team, for leading us into the presence of God. Yeah, this morning I was really, really tired because my daughter was not happy with her sleep sack and kept waking up and crying. But yeah, this worship really helped me to uh, look up to God. My name is David Lee, and I'm a pastor intern here at ERBF. Uh, today we have a, a yeah, sorry. I almost forgot. <laughs> so kids, you, are, uh, you can head off to Kids Zone and Junior Church at this time. Mm, yeah, so our guest speaker today, this morning, is uh, Grace Brent and Gareth Brent, sorry. And I'm glad to have you here. Uh, Gareth is the professor of spiritual formation at CBC. And before that, he was involved in congregational and denominational ministry for 14 years in four uh, different provinces. He has written two books on spirituality and also blogs on his reflection on God and life. Uh, he and his wife attends Emmanuel Mennonite Church in Abbotsford. So, yeah, I want to invite uh, Gareth to come and share with us about John 11, raising of Lazarus this morning. Thank you. It is uh, good to be here. Uh, I do have a couple of the uh, books uh, with me uh, if you're interested, uh, since uh, we are uh, sharing uh, stories. But the most important story is, of course, the uh, gospel story. And so I want to uh, begin by reading uh, John 11. <clears throat> Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Uh, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Mary, uh, Martha and her, sis and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, uh, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he had to tell them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him now. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus 
had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet, enter, not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been, th been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off his grave clothes. And let him go. I am dead. Killed by the powers that oppress. Bound by the sins of the fathers. Embalmed by the stench of abuse. Entombed in the grip of the evil one. Decaying with hopelessness and fear. Fear. 
I am dead. Four days, but wait. Oh, I wait in my death. It is the master's voice I hear. Loud. Enraged with passion, he calls my name. Live, come out. I struggle against the death clothes bound so tight around me, stumbling towards the light. Unbind him, he commands to death. Let him go free. This poem is the story of Lazarus. It is also my story. I invite you to make this gospel story your story. We are in the midst of Lent. I appreciate how you are linking gospel stories with personal stories during this Lenten season. It seems an appropriate and meaningful exercise uh, during this season of Lent. Ironically, the plot to kill Jesus begins immediately after the resurrection of Lazarus in today's story. Raising Lazarus from the dead may have been Jesus' ultimate sign of his divine authority. It was life-conquering death, and yet Jesus' own journey was pointing to his impending death. And his story finds him facing the deepest of human emotions, and also the death of one of his closest friends. Today I'm facing the death of my father, who was given two weeks to live three weeks ago. What are you facing today? Let's set up the story. In the first six verses, we are introduced to the characters in the story. We have the siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who were very close friends of Jesus. And then, of course, we have Jesus and his disciples. Our story takes place only a short time before the events of Passion Week. Bethany, where this story takes place, is less than an hour's walk from Jerusalem, where Jesus will be tried and crucified. The fact that begins the plot of this story is that Lazarus is sick unto death. The sickness is already uh, introduced as being for God's glory, but we have no idea how this will bring God glory. It's interesting to note that when Jesus hears the news of his friend's death, he does not act on it. He stays where he is two more days. Why does Jesus wait? Usually when we encounter a crisis, we tend to rush around in a panic and jump into action and get to the bottom of it and try to resolve the situation as soon as possible. But Jesus waited 
loitered even. What is that about? Finally, Jesus beckons the disciples to go with him back to Judea, eventually Jerusalem with a stop in Bethany. Now, there's obvious dangers there for Jesus, as the disciples point out. But Jesus is confident because, as he says, he walks in the daytime by God's light. This is a mysterious metaphor. And I wonder if the disciples really get it. At first, when Jesus refers to Lazarus' death, he uses a common euphemism for death. Lazarus has fallen asleep. We have our own euphemisms. But the disciples don't get it. So he has to tell them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Although Thomas's pessimistic statement in verse 16 that the disciples do have a sense of the impending danger that awaits them, they are really unaware of what all will happen. It seems plain to us, uh, but we have the advantage of hindsight. We know what awaits them. So why don't they get it? Not only will Lazarus be raised from the dead, but his resurrection will give way to Jesus' own death and resurrection. But maybe we shouldn't be so hard on the disciples. Why don't we get it sometimes? We don't have the advantage of hindsight in our own stories. We have to live our stories frontwards just like the disciples did. We often don't know what's going on in our lives either. So the drama unfolds. The stage has been set. There's the delay. Jesus confidently facing the future. The disciples kind of along for the ride without really knowing what's going on. And so the drama unfolds. Lazarus has been dead for four days, which means that in the eyes of the Jews, he was completely dead. They believed that for three days, some kind of resuscitation might be possible. But by the fourth day, the person was more than mostly dead. He was completely dead. Glad you caught that reference. <laughs> Thus, we find them mourning with all hope of recovery lost. Lazarus is dead. Now, Martha's response to Jesus' arrival is interesting. At the same time as she affirms her faith in Jesus' power to heal, she also seems to blame him for her mother's death, or for, for her brother's death. When Jesus tells her that Lazarus will rise again, she misunderstands and thinks that 
Jesus is referring to the future resurrection. Now, this is a common device in the Gospel of John. For example, uh, Nicodemus in chapter 3 misunderstands Jesus saying, born from above as born again. And we still misunderstand that one, by the way, but that's a different sermon. In chapter 4, the Samaritan woman misunderstands living water as mere well water. And in chapter 9, the Pharisees think Jesus is talking about physical blindness when he means spiritual blindness. So these misunderstandings, and again in chapter 11, it allows Jesus' statement to then complete or correct the misunderstanding. Now Martha, like most Jews, believed in a future resurrection. But this seemed to be of little consolation in the face of human loss and grief. When human beings face death, the hope of a future life does not necessarily take away the sorrow and the loneliness of separation and loss. Death is still death. And death is the ultimate separator. And so Jesus focuses on the present by saying, I am now in the present the resurrection and the life in verse 25. And so Jesus asks Martha, do you believe this? She responds by saying who she believes Jesus is. What matters in the face of death is who we believe Jesus to be. The hope for humanity in the midst of death is not only what might happen in the future, but in the presence of the person of Jesus in the present. God is present in more ways than one. And so the tension cracks. While Martha goes back to the house to tell Mary that Jesus has arrived, Jesus again stays where he is and does not yet proceed to the tomb. And when Mary comes, she repeats the same line that Martha had used earlier. If only you'd been here, Lazarus would not have died. This part of the story reveals Jesus, although confident in divine power, in the depth of human emotion. The grief of separation and death hits the human Jesus with full force. Three times it is mentioned that Jesus feels deep emotions. In verse 35, that shortest verse in the Bible that I still remember from childhood trivia contests, <laughs> Jesus wept. And also in verse 33 and 38, it says that he was deeply moved. 
in the original language, this is a word that has indignation and anger mixed with grief and sorrow. Jesus was in human anguish, yet also enraged against the enemy, death. Why does Jesus cry? Jesus cries in anger over what death does to us. Jesus cries in anguish because of the sorrow of human separation. Jesus cries because he is fully human. Jesus was made like us in every way. Jesus cries because human beings cry. Jesus cries because we all cry. Jesus cries with us. Jesus not only cries with those who cry and weeps with those who weep, but in his own anger and frustration over the suffering caused by sin and death, he takes control. What makes Jesus angry? Sin, separation, and suffering. Notice the power and authority of Jesus' words. Take away the stone. You will see the glory of God. Lazarus, come out. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Imagine the scene in response to Jesus' words. The stench of the bodily decay, rustling sounds, disbelieving silence of the onlookers, a ghostly, ghastly, mummy-like figure stumbling out of the cave. Oh my God! is probably the response of people there. And then that final statement, take off the grave clothes and let him go, is pregnant with symbolic meaning. Christ the liberator frees humanity from all the powers that abuse us and bind us. Jesus is angry at the suffering that sin causes to human beings. Salvation and life come through correctly placed anger. Not at other human beings, but anger at the inhuman and dehumanizing powers that bind us. And as we respond to the voice of Jesus... We shed the grave clothes that bind and suffocate our life. Jesus demonstrated visibly and dramatically what he had said to Martha earlier. I am the resurrection and the life. The resurrection of Lazarus cannot help but point us on to Jesus' own 
resurrection. During Lent, we are experiencing the dryness, darkness, and death. But we do know the end of the story. Lazarus, dead for four days, heard the voice of God in Jesus Christ, came out of the cave, and shed the clothes, the death clothes that bound him. Today, we are also bound in the death clothes of various kinds. We are buried in the caves of family violence and incest. We lie dormant in the dark clouds of depression. We are bound in the prisons of various addictions. We are stifled with the heavy grave clothes of spiritual lethargy and legalism. We are constricted in the cages of broken relationships. We are bound in the, grave, the death clothes of separation from loved ones through divorce or death. 26 years ago, when I first preached this sermon, I was emerging from one of the darkest clothes, the darkest caves in my own life, recovering from the trauma of childhood sexual abuse, which I had never confronted head-on in my life until that point. And just as a note, my father was not the perpetrator. This was my death. The childhood abuse had bound me up as tight as grave clothes. And that year, Lent was very real for me. I had not preached a sermon for two years until that one. I invite you your own reflection. What is your dark cave? What is your death? What binds you from life and freedom? What is God saying to you today? Jesus weeps with us in the pain of our bondage and death. But his powerful voice calls us into the life and freedom of Easter. It's a long Friday. But Sundays are coming. I am alive.